How do you split your finances when your partner earns much more than you? How can we spot financial infidelity? And what is financial abuse? How can we start talking about money with a partner? How to handle a divorce? These are some of the questions we received from you over the past few months. A recent survey of 600 therapists shows a third reported an increase in clients talking about relationship problems sparked by rising living costs. The therapist also noted that more clients were finding it difficult to leave their partner because of financial concerns. Talking about money in a relationship is hard, with a quarter of couples not feeling comfortable discussing money. My guest today is Lottie Leaf, qualified wealth planner and founder of the Dura Society, offering private client coaching and divorce concierge services, enabling engagement not just with finances, but with overall well-being, relationships and emotions. We talk about money and relationships, of course, how to get organized pre-marriage, handing a divorce, and staying sane in the process. Want to give your money an opportunity to grow this year? Wealthify makes investing simple by choosing and managing your investments for you. And if you open a Wealthify plan and invest at least £50 by 30th of June 2023, they'll give you an extra £50. Terms and conditions apply. New customers only. The offer is capped at the first 500 customers. Find out more and claim the offer at wealthify.com slash the wallet. With investing, your capital is at risk and you could get back less than you put in. Wealthify is regulated and authorized by the Financial Conduct Authority. Remember that we are not certified financial advisors. Information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. I wanted to start by, by chatting a little bit about um, joining finances when, you know, you start, um, you know, when your relationship starts to become serious with someone uh, or you're getting married. So basically combining finances or actually separating finances. And, and, and I was wondering, how do you actually shift from managing your own finances to managing finances jointly? Yeah, really, really good question. I think there's been a lot of talk of that at the moment, and especially around this whole element of economic control. And so I think that it's really important when you're in a relationship to look at the difference between equity and equality and, and understanding what each partner brings to the relationship. But ultimately, at, at the start, you know, you've got to know your numbers, both independently and then jointly, and looking at household cash flow and your solo cash flow. So what's coming in, what's going out, and then understanding and establishing what your priorities are as a couple. You know, where do you see yourselves? What are your goals over the next three years together? Will you be buying a house? Will you be having children? And sitting down and having these pretty grown up, um, constructive discussions from the outset, and then aligning your values to what you're each doing with your money. Because we're all individuals and although you might be in a relationship you, you you're not always going to be aligned so I think it's getting that really good understanding of what each other's behaviors are and where your comfort levels are one you know it tends to be that one person will be the, the money person in the relationship but it doesn't mean that you can't still be involved in those conversations so it's having that awareness and then getting yourselves aligned together I think is really important and I guess it's uh, it's starting this conversation very early on uh, from the get-go because the more you wait maybe the harder um, it is but how, how do you then catch up if, if you've for example you've been married for like 10 years <laughs> 20 years 
never actually had this money conversation. I'm sure you see a lo lot of women or men actually in the, in this case. How do you you know do you start this conversation? Yeah, I mean, one thing about starting these conversations, if you're very happily married, is that the other person might start being a little <laughs> bit concerned over the reasons why you're asking these questions. But I think if you use a, a tool or, or, or something external to, to your relationship, so say, I saw this article in the press, or I spoke to my friend, and, and her and her husband are doing X, Y, and Z, and they're setting money dates together. And you just open it up as a really comfortable opening to, to why we need to get organized. You know, you could talk about the economic climate and go, look, I am a little bit concerned. I think it would help me to feel more secure if we actually open up uh, honestly and, and look at what, what the current position is as a unit, um, because that will help us long term to make solid decisions. Yeah, I love this idea of, of using prompts uh, because they're, yeah, they, they yeah. make it like so much easier. Exactly. And then it takes that burden off of you if you're feeling a little bit anxious because, you know, people do inherently feel anxious about talking about money. We all, we all know that. And it's something that, you know, co collectively we need to, to overcome. So if you can find triggers and, 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 you know, even you can you use a film, use a book, anything like that to just prompt the discussion, see how it lands and then build around that. And I, uh, so, you know, at the, at the festival, um, last year, we, we recorded a few questions from, from the community and, and one question I'm, I'm going to play it for you, um, is about splitting your finances. How do you split your finances when your partner earns significantly more than you? You want to share the same experiences, but you also realize that your budget doesn't necessarily stretch as far as, as theirs does. So I guess it's kind of like, how do you find that balance between not sacrificing too much for them but also meeting in the middle really really interesting question and something that again when we look at you know gender equality and earning capacity and earning potential it's never really going to be that two parties come into a relationship with equal footing financially so again it goes back to that decision making responsibility structure and fairness and control I think those are key things. And if it is something that is overstretching you, you need to have that open conversation with your partner to allow them to, to come and fill that space for you. And don't let yourself get into debt catching up with them as well. And again, it goes back to that, that equity versus equality. You know, they might have put in more into the house, but it doesn't mean you're less worthy or, you know, less valued in that relationship. So it's really making sure that you're both seeing each other as equals, whether or not the bank balances reflect that on a monetary sense, but, but really understanding that you're in it together and it's a partnership. I think that's, that's a fair way to, to think about it. At the same time, women need to build their own savings. They need to build their own uh, pensions. Can you tell me a little bit more about how to do that, like the best way uh, to do that? Yeah. Okay. So again, it goes back to your numbers, looking at what your personal cash flow looks like and looking if there's anything that you can adjust to start with and taking any of the additional money that you might have in a pot and putting that aside for a rainy day. So we've all heard of the rainy day fund, emergency fund, the FO fund, I call it the freedom fund, but having something that you know is there for your own personal security that you can start putting away and that will give you a sense of calm and that will give you the ability to be independent 
give you some freedom, a little bit of sanity, but also remember that, you know, women are living longer. So it's it's really in our best interest to, to start putting some money away sooner rather than later. And uh, and what about debt? I mean, very often I hear women telling me, you know, I, I'm I'm worried that my partner has some debt. Um, there's been a lot of research about that. What are what are the implications for for joint accounts, for example, when you decide, you know, let's put all all our finances together, or if you're married and your partner has debt on the side. Yeah, well, again, it it really depends if you're married or not. So generally, the court will assume that any debts accrued during the marriage are joint debts, regardless of whose name the debt is actually in. But it also depends on whether they were incurred for the joint benefit of of them or your spouse or your children. So if it was a family home or home improvement, it will probably be that you're you're jointly responsible for the debt and this would be taken into account as part of any financial settlement if you were to become divorced or separated but if it's in your sole name then it will be viewed that there is a joint debt it can be that they will make an order to offset that during the court proceedings to give you uh money from the other side to to, to balance it out um but yeah, it, it really depends what the reason is for the debt occurring and how that is structured. Again, this falls into economic control, economic abuse. So I had one client, for instance, her husband knew all of her account details. Um, and when they were filing for divorce, he actually withdrew money from her account, from her ISA, and put it into his accounts without her knowledge. It's really awful. And I think that's one thing that I would always, always stress to anybody, no matter how safe and secure your relationships are, don't share passwords. You know, if they want the information, ask them to come to you and you can provide it for them. So again, that's a big education piece on on organizing where your assets and your savings and your cash is held and how it's held. You know, always have something that is just solely in your name, just in case. I think that's really, really important. And also linked to that, can you talk a little bit about financial infidelity and if you see these uh, a lot? Okay, so like any infidelity, there is a spectrum and the definition of that will really vary between individuals. So, you know, having that secret pot of cash as your freedom fund, in some senses, might be seen Mm -hmm. as infidelity to your partner. So that's something that you need to navigate and really understand from the relationship, only you know what your relationship is like. But then on the other side of the spectrum, there's, I mean, awfully, you have some people who have separate families, secret families, they'll be paying out for schooling and having wives and all of this. And and, and going, maybe they've got a, a gambling habit or the shopping habit or, or any of these, you know, taboo habits, um, which would be seen to be infidelity. Definitely. But what can you do? Okay, so when you go to get divorced, we're talking about the marriage side here, you will be required to complete a Form E as part of the financial disclosure. What is that? So that is giving full transparency on your debts, your liabilities, your assets, your income, any trusts, or, you know, if you've got beautiful artwork, anything like that, you have to disclose that. Both parties fill out the form and they share them. If there is something in there that doesn't look right, you can then go to forensic accountants, asset tracers, 
um, debt recovery agents to actually piece that puzzle together. And then that's where you can sort of track where these assets might be and and um, put them back into the, the marital pot. I think something that, you know, I've, I've had like many discussions with the Vespot communities around the cost of actually pursuing all these actions. So when you start, you know, doubting, mm. maybe, you know, you, you started to uh, like the, these divorce conversations, um, you feel your partner is not maybe telling you the truth. Uh, it, it, it's going to cost you a little bit of money to actually get to a point where y you have some confidence um, on the numbers. So how how do you approach this? Gosh, yes. Well, exactly. It's, it's a cost-benefit analysis that you would need to run because it, it will cost thousands. And again, it, just, it depends what the size of the mm -hmm. asset base is. So for many people, a lot of the services out there are just completely out of reach. Even when you're going through the divorce process, you know, hiring a, hiring a legal team, getting the actuaries involved with the valuation of your assets, all of these additional costs will then eat into what the what the settlement might look like. So it's really taking a strong view on how much it will cost you to have that peace of mind. And some people will fight just for the sake of fighting, yeah. right? So they want to know the answer and they will sink themselves in fees to try and recover assets. Not not the route that I would recommend, but I think it is definitely there is a cost um, a cost question which which overshadows all of these things. And and when you're going into divorce, I think the best thing that you can do financially is just understand and organize yourself from the outset before you even speak to a lawyer, because it can quickly spiral. Can you give me some of the maybe red flags uh, where you feel you know there's a leakage? of money in some way uh, if you don't have access to the others like to your partner bank accounts for example how do you how do you recognize this like infidelity and, and of course there's there's a spectrum as you know as you said mm. okay so it was in what finding receipts somewhere or just thinking they're going out for dinner an awful lot or they're they're um, indulging themselves in in expensive hobbies perhaps i think there's there will be some signifiers uh to, to how they are behaving but again this is where it comes to that economic control because one party might say well i'm entitled to do what i want yeah. with my money and that's where it comes into this right you need to start as soon as somebody is behaving in that way you need to that red flag appears and and you think right what can i do to to protect myself now i need to sort of like you know reinforce my financial behavior and make sure that I'm in a secure place that if I need to leave, if this has got too far, I am confident that I can leave as, you know, unscathed as possible. Um, but yeah, the, the red flags would really be, you know, looking at their spending habits without mm -hmm. directly looking on their phone or anything like that. Because again, um, one important thing is courts do not like it and i think it may be illegal do not go rifling around through people's documents if they are in a box in the study and you know where they are does not mean wow. you should look okay. at them and definitely don't photograph them because that can be uh, a 
big no-no when it actually comes to courts, which is a really difficult chicken and egg situation in these scenarios. So that's when you would leave it to the forensic experts who will go through the bank statements once they have been um, issued to the courts and they will see where the gaps are. Thanks, Loti. Um, and if we, if we just take a step back, so we had a, a, another question about um, marriage and civil, civil partnership. Hi, I'm Megan, and I'm wondering how does marriage and or civil partnership impact your finances? And specifically, what are the benefits of each? Uh, what are the pitfalls? Well, weddings are very expensive, so that's one pitfall, <laughs> I would say. Um, but the more sensible uh, ones are, you know, there's, there's less protection for children or death. If you're not married, I think that's crucial to say from the outset. I've got some clients of mine and they are uh, co-parents and they've never married and they don't want to marry. But actually, now that they're separating, there is less protection for the spouse who's doing all of the childcare to actually get any uh, maintenance payments and, um, wow. you know, no entitlement to any assets uh, because they were never married. So that's one thing that I would make it clear if you are having children for a safety point of view, financially, it, it is sensible to get married. However, on the other side, if you are the financially stronger party, it might not be in your interest. So again, it's looking at what the benefits and um, and the risks are. Again, with death, if, if you're not married, it can be really complicated when dealing with um, the estate of the deceased and families and pensions because you will not get the same entitlements as well. Looking at CGT, so capital gains tax, if you're making any transfers between your spouse, you have something called an interspousal transfer when you are married, which means you can gift them a house or you know anything that's, uh, you know uh, even if it's a portfolio or, or of uh, investments, um, and there's no tax to be paid on that however on divorce there they are changing these rules this april there's talk of it um you do need to calculate what the um the cgt transfer might be for interstitial transfer after the date of separation so again those are sort of like the technical overview really brief on on what the benefits and and uh, pitfalls might be and you also have uh, shared financial responsibilities when uh, when you get married so I'm thinking mortgages. It'll be a joint and several several liability if you have a mortgage. Um, you know, most most of the time that should have been a conversation that you brought up right at the outset. But yes, if the, if the uh, spouse does run away or, or something like that and leaves you in the property, I mean, they should keep maintaining the standard of life that you were living while you were together until the courts have um, settled the order. But yeah, children, mortgages, children. Children up until the age of 18 that is that is a joint parental responsibility that you both have um, again much easier to enforce if you are married and how can you uh, can you best protect yourself then before you're going into like a marriage or a civil partnership it comes down to legal documentation a lot of the times so there there are three documents that really help to protect yourselves the first one that there's a lot of conversation about is a prenup so that sets out effectively is a receipt for your marriage, I would say. So if you are uh, going to divorce, it's going to set out who owns what and who wants what, although they're not legally binding yet in the UK. They do um, give strong weight when going to courts for separation in order to say, actually, this is mine, this is ring fence. Another thing is putting things into trust um, and then not using those assets whilst you're in the marriage, because as soon as it becomes part of the marital pot, then it kind of 
negates the, the benefit of it. The other thing is declaration of trust. So if you've got shared assets or property, so you're going to buy a house together, that sets out who owns what percentage of the property and what contributions they will be making and then what they would take if they were to separate. And the, the third and final one is cohabitation agreements. So that's setting out the terms of arrangement for living together, um, you know, and whose liability for what bills and, and just the way that the state of play will, will go together while you're living together and not married. So I have another question from um, from someone from the Vespert community about divorce. Hi, my name is Jess. What would you say to women going through separation and divorce? Where should they go for support with their finances? Yeah, good question. Okay, so there's really three stages of divorce. There's the pre-divorce, which is all about thinking, right, what do I need? What do I want? This is before you've even gone to the lawyer. How much is it going to cost? What's the strategy? What's the process? Let's understand the basics. Let's get all my documentation together. Let's understand what my numbers are. And that's, oh, one point as well there is, is make sure you register your interest in a property. So if you're living together, register on the land registry um, so that if your partner did want to sell it or anything like that, you would be alerted to that. I think that's really important because sometimes it can get quite messy. Um, look at your credit report. Um, at the offset as well and that will be able to show you if you've got any joint liabilities that you weren't aware of um, because that will be tabbed onto that so that's quite a good record keeping um, document whilst you're going through this process as well so you've got the during so you need to understand what the cost of litigation might be if you're going down that route there are many different ways that you can go through a divorce um, so you know looking at mediation alternative uh dispute resolution or going through to the courts um, and they will come with their costs and benefits and it really depends on what kind of relationship uh, you've got uh, whether it's very contentious or, or whether you are quite civil so you know you can get one lawyer for two um, but again that's at the stage when you would do all of that financial disclosure as I mentioned before and again how do you keep calm during that being methodical following a process trying to remove the emotional It's really hard to say that because divorce is one of the most traumatic things that anybody can go through. But if you look at the facts and the figures and you try and make a sound decision from that and work alongside the professionals while you're trying to make those decisions. So when you're getting the valuations of your assets, really thinking about what your your lifestyle looks like moving forwards as well and again it depends what age you're at when you're going through divorce if you're in your 40s and you're getting divorced it's going to be very different conversation to if you're in your 70s because you've got different needs you're at a different stage of your lifestyle you, you might have children you might not um so it's making provisions for lifestyle and family during the divorce which is also really important so you might have maintenance payments which you would have to ask you know a, a lawyer to to um arrange that all for you but it's making sure that you still have some stability for you and and then afterwards so once you've got your courts settled you know the um, the settlement's all been agreed on it's then the implementation of the court orders that might include a pension sharing order you might need to be thinking about re-entering the workforce if you've never worked before but actually you know your earning capacity is is there and you can build on it you, you'd need to start 
building on your confidence in order to return to the workforce. Um, updating all of your insurance policies and your wills. I think that's also a crucial thing that some people uh, might not think about. So say you are on your partner's work health insurance policy or something like that you need to factor that in as a cost that you will have to pay ongoing later on in life you know um updating your bills because on on divorce that will all change um and you'll need to probably adjust your spending habits and your routines which can be quite a a jolt for some people but i think again going back structure organize really start doing the basics um and and feeling more comfortable in in managing the money for the first time for a lot of people and then also going back to that credit file credit note is is lodging a notice of disassociation on there once it's finished so that they can't reopen anything on there later on um so yeah i think my my four key things on how to keep calm during a divorce with your finances is to be organized be realistic for the costs and what the outcome is that you're looking to achieve, as we mentioned before, uh, you can suddenly rack up costs if you're trying to do things that is going to outweigh the uh, the benefit of you doing it. Um, educate yourself. So understand what the process is, both in terms of finances and, and the legal um, uh, process as well. And work with professionals. And you really do get what you pay for. So make sure that you're getting the right people at the right time to help you. And and what do I mean by that? So you might want a therapist, you might need an accountant, you might need uh, a conveyancer if you're buying, selling properties, um, you know, an investment manager, perhaps later on. Um, there's so many ways, you know, it, it really depends on what your asset base looks like. But and a lawyer, obviously, you might need one of those. Um, but yeah, it, it does rack up. And it's just thinking, at what point do I need to introduce them to the conversation? And that will vary between each each uh, party. Thanks a lot, Loti. And I have a final question, um, again, from the community. My name is Flora, and I was just wondering, when is the right time to start going to see a financial advisor? Like which situations justify it? Alongside this question, I'd love to ask you maybe the difference between financial advice and financial coaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good question. I think it's really important to deal with the finances right at the start. There's, um, understanding what your goals are, what your needs are, what the asset base is. So a financial advisor can really help you to understand what the net uh, proceeds of any settlement might look like. So remember, we mentioned about anything having uh, a tax liability on it, depending on when you've separated to when you've got divorce or anything like all future earnings. Uh, you know, you need to think what, what the net amount will be when you've received that. Um, they'll be able to help you to establish that they can run through cash flow planning for you they can under, they can help you with making decisions on pension splitting on uh setting up any further estate planning needs and and really just trying to get you organized and, and again looking at the fees for what they're charging is it based on AUM assets under management or is it a flat planning fee so I think that's really important again on, on looking what the different types of services you're actually getting because a lot of them say the same thing on the tin but they're not that they are they are quite varied and, and it depends if it matches up to what your needs are so that goes into the difference of financial coaching and financial advisory um, coaching is non-regulated so 
The FCA oversees regulated activities. What does that mean? So that's anything to do with selling investment products or um, wrappers or anything like that. So, so cash flow planning, for instance, is not regulated. Financial coaches are able to do that. Whether or not they have the skills to be able to do it effectively is another thing. And a, and a coach is more like having a guide working alongside you and they'll work more on the emotional connections to it rather than being uh, particularly practical on what the tax implications are and all of that. So they do complement each other, but it really depends on what the complexity is and how much you already know about certain things. Because there are a lot of, um, you know, robo advisors on there, which are quite helpful if you already know what you're doing. But if you've got a little added level of complexity, I would definitely go to a financial advisor who will help to structure you in terms of you know if you've got any child tax credits that you need to do or you know you're thinking about consolidating pensions and and you've got a defined benefit pension for instance or there's something a little bit more uh tactical required that's when you would leave it to that or you know you're setting up a bond which you want to live off later on in life that's not something that a financial coach will be able to assist you with thank you so much Lottie. um you know always <laughs> you know i love it because you know packed up for full of you know information um where where can we find you and how can uh, women work with you? The jurasociety.com is the website. Um, I do one-on-one sessions with women called Wealth Refresh, where we do a 90-minute overview on exactly what your, your current position is like. And then I also run the Divorce Concierge for anything that's a little bit more long-term and where you really do need somebody to guide you through all of the pitfalls that we have discussed. Thank you so much for listening to the episode of The Wallet. Please share this show with your friends and subscribe on your favorite platform. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It only takes a few seconds, but it helps more people find our show. Join us again next Thursday for another episode of The Wallet. I will interview Nafisa Bakar, CEO and co-founder of award-winning media platform Amaya, which seeks to amplify the voices of Muslim women. She just published her book, How to Make Money, an honest guide to going from an idea to a six-figure business.